This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the No Name Ever podcast. I'm Jamie Smith and joining me this week are Natalie, James and Kevin to talk about a win. Burnley victors at Turf Moor on Saturday, 3-2 victory over Bournemouth in the Premier League. Back up to the heady heights of mid-table in the league. But Natalie, as they always do, they put us through the ringer a bit, didn't they? My God, how can you be 3-1 up at home and be absolutely terrified that you were still not going to win the game? I mean, that Bournemouth came from like 2-0 down. 2-0 down, yeah. I know. But to be fair, that was what we were expecting with, with a side. We know we've got a side like Bournemouth. Let's not forget they were 2-0 down against Liverpool and, and ended up winning that game. We all said once we went 2-0 up that we shouldn't get too complacent because Bournemouth are a side that can very comfortably um, come back from a 2-0 deficit and win a game Di- uh, I'm sorry not Dyche I'm getting my managers mixed up Eddie Howe's sides are like that He, we were like that when he was at Burnley you know we, we led in a load of goals but we scored a load as well and we had you know we had a running joke when Howe managed us that we needed to win four goals every game just to win um, and his Bournemouth side are getting a little bit like that at times as well in that you know once we, they went 2-0 down you knew full well that they had um, the ability to come back when we conceded that goal deep into the first half injury time, I just had that awful butterfly feeling in the pit of my stomach where I just thought, this is this is it, this is the comeback. And it doesn't surprise me that they threw everything that they could do at that game to try and, and get some points out of it. And I was really, really, really pleased to see that the boys' heads didn't go down. They dealt with the pressure. They learned from their mistakes at the end of the second half and dealt with the ball better and just tried to see the game out and neutralise the, the Bournemouth attack, even when it went to 3-2. So whilst it was a nervy performance, I thought it was a, it was at large a very disciplined performance by our boys. Yeah, similar to the Crystal Palace game in a way, I suppose, in that we were very, very dangerous on the attack, but there was always a bit of a sense that the opposition were going to get back into all of this time. We went back two goals clear, which I think made a big difference. But yeah, I was a bit worried when they scored right at the end. And of course, they had one disallowed as well, um, which I think was probably fair for the handball. Um, Kev, we've talked on the podcast loads this season about needing to make a fast, positive start. 
And that's exactly got what we got today. Tuna up inside 16, 17 minutes, and it didn't really flatter us. We were deserving of that lead. Yeah, and I think it was really important as well after you know a few games that'll win a few a few defeats as well. You know, we, we, our home funds formed very good, but there were concerns that for longer we go on losing games away from home, and obviously we've we've lost the game at home as well last time out. How long does that can we do that before it starts to impact the home form? So I think getting those early goals were so fantastic. It, it really showed us that we've still got it in us. We've still got that home form is still strong. I think it gives it a lot of, a lot of belief, not just for the players but also the fans. Uh, it really gives a really strong basis to to go on and go forward. And yeah, absolutely, it didn't flatter us all. We really deserved it. And you know, Bournemouth had a lot of the ball. They came at us a lot. And you know, we we know that Eddie Howe teams are very good on the ball and very good at scoring goals but actually I you know you know it was quite nervy towards the end when we got that when we got their second goal but I don't think they threatened too much I don't think there was, there was anything really other than the goals and maybe a couple of saves that Tom Heaton had that was really really troubling yeah I think that was fair it's not like they had a lot of pressure but I don't think it really translated into it's clear cut chances. Um, I'm sure a lot of people listen to the podcast in the car. Well, for a treat, James is recording the podcast in the car, so please excuse any background noise when James is speaking. Um, on your way back from Turf Moor right now, James, what starts that game? What a sensational goal from the much maligned Jeff Hendrick. Indeed, I said to my dad before the game that you know Hendrick really needed to have a performance, I think, to uh, to, to settle fans' opinion about him and. Um, you can't really send a much better message than scoring a goal like that so early on. I mean, it's a great ball from Wharton, but there's probably a little bit too much on it. And he takes it down just so well and, and buries it. And I think, you know, when you see a goal like that as well, it really gets the crowd going. Um, and it's pretty much the perfect start to, to an important game because I really thought that today was kind of must-win if we were going to uh, keep progressing as the season goes on. Yeah, I definitely thought it was must not lose. It's maybe a little bit early for, for must wins, but the run of games that we've got at the turf, Bournemouth, Middlesbrough, Sunderland, as we talked about on the podcast last week, it's absolutely vital that we get lots of points from these because I think in the new year the, the fixtures start to look a lot, t- a lot tougher. Um, just while we're sticking on, on Hendrik Kevin, aside from his, his fantastic goal, which is surely a contender for, for goal of the season, it was also his best performance generally. Yeah, definitely. I think what what James just said then was 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 really on point, really, because you know I, I talked a minute ago about how you know does the does this run of defeats was that going to impact us and start to bring us down? And similarly, we've talked in the last couple of weeks about you know questioning Hendrick and whether he's been contributing enough. So I think it was really fantastic for him to come in and and not just get that goal, but to have a really strong performance and really as well and really show us that he belongs um, in this team and in the Premier League and. You know, I, I, I think you know getting that fantastic goalie on go, goalie early on goal early on was a <laughs> probably a, a, a fantastic uh, you know really good confidence boost to him and it was a, a yeah it was probably probably his best performance I think for us all around not just the goal which was fantastic to watch but his all round game I think he made a really good contribution to the whole game. Yeah, it obviously gives you a massive confidence boost when you score a, a goal like that that requires such incredible technique. I don't think there's many players in our team could have scored that goal. Um, but yeah, it, it is about time that we started seeing that from Jeff Henry because he has been quite underwhelming. I thought he was pretty poor, pretty poor last week as well. So it's about time we saw that from him. Um, Stephen Defoe back in the team today. 
Natalie did his customary 54 minutes. <laughs> but also Tom Heaton was back and although he wasn't especially busy, he just he has that assurance and the whole team feels a bit more settled with Tom Heaton in goal. Yeah, it really does. And I mean, I think... I think it's. I think Robbo did a, a decent job as a, as deputy. I think he he you know he, he steadied the ship pretty well, um, but you know and I certainly I think the goals that we scored away at Stoke last week I think were, were largely down to defensive errors as opposed to keeper problems. But he just he brings that captaincy performance and he brings a level of calm to the side. And it's not just that there's, there's a consistency among those those back five players and and everybody knows what they're doing and the, the defenders use Tom you know and kick the ball and he to him and he kicks the ball out from there so he's he's very much part of them they use him as, as a almost like a, a fifth outfield player you know in terms of passing the ball and, and moving it across that back um so yeah I was really pleased to see him back today Defoe's um, a slightly different one I think up to now Defoe hasn't played a full 90 minutes and I think that has been largely down to a fitness problem Today felt like he taken off before he was ready to be taken off. But I actually think that this was a result of a tactical decision by Deitch. He was very proactive today and he actually made two very good substitutions very early on. And I think he's admitted himself in um, post-match interviews that he he was pleased with his own ability to be proactive today and make substitutions before... Um, it was needed and to make something happen himself rather than re- reacting sorry to um, how a game has gone so I think I think Defoe was um, a victim of um, just a change in formation today it was a tactical substitution to move to 4-4-2 and obviously Daesh felt that that Marnie and Hendrick were better suited to that four-man midfield so um, yeah I was really pleased I was pleased with the players that we got back today and I was pleased with the substitutions all around yeah, it, it seems from the last couple of games that he just doesn't really fancy to four and a four four two, which is interesting because it doesn't look to be anything obvious about his game to me. That means he can't do it. Um, I don't think he started the second half particularly well, um, so maybe that was partly why it was him that was hooked as well. But yeah, in a four four two, I'm, I'm not sure we're going to see a lot of Stephen to four, so um, that's certainly one to keep an eye on. Um, James, we talk about subs all the time on the podcast, and what we always ask for is early changes that are proactive, and that's what we got, and we won the game, and a large part of that, the reason for the victory was that Dash was proactive, changed the system, put attackers on, and Andre Gray, I thought, was excellent from the bench. Yeah, it was a, a bizarre sub, really, for Dash. I mean, yeah, I, I, I thought, saw them I, getting ready to come on. I was like, "What's going on?" Because <laughs> other times, well, I thought it was a bit extreme. I thought, you know, we maybe weren't playing as well as we had done early on. But a double substitution is normally something you reserve for, uh, you know, really need to shake it up. Um, but obviously, it worked out really well. I thought Sam Vaux had a really quiet game actually as well. So that's probably why he made way at that point. I don't think he'd really uh, sort of managed to get forward as much as you should as a striker. He seemed to get the ball quite a lot compared to usual, but he was dropping back to get it. Um, and I thought actually Gray and uh, Barnes, I say they've not really had much chance together, after a few teething issues, sort of really connected well. Um, and I thought some of the link-up play was really good. And uh, considering obviously Defoe's gone off and we he's our best playmaker, he's you know our best passer of the ball, I thought we actually ended up playing some really good stuff considering... Um, you know, we were left with players who previously we've been complaining haven't been showing enough. Um, Hendrick, in particular, I thought his all-round game today was 
exactly why we made him our record signing. Um, it's been sort of long overdue to see that as well. Yeah, it was so positive on the ball, I feel, today. I mean, the problem I had with the second half performance at Stoke, although it was an improvement on the first half, was that it was just still too direct. And when it wasn't direct, it was just too safe. It was like <laughs> the two extremes, there was no middle ground. But I, I felt like we got the middle ground really well today. Andre Gray, with his pace, obviously huge threat on the counter-attack. When Bournemouth started committing lots of players forward, Gray was causing them all kinds of problems. And I think a few people have asked questions about what Gray's role is, but in home games, if we're playing 4-5-1, he's going to be used as a substitute. And we saw today just what a difference he can make. I feel like Gray coming on was a massive reason for our victory. I thought he was absolutely fantastic when he came on. And there was opportunities as well where I think um, you know some of his teammates weren't necessarily on the same page. I think the two times yeah, he got... Well, certainly one where Boyd, Boyd played him in, didn't he? But it was too late and it ended up being offside. Yeah, but both times he got caught offside. They, they, they just waited too long and you could see he'd been screaming for it for like the past 30 seconds and we just missed that early pass. Actually, I just want to bring up as well, if you mentioned Stoke, it reminded me, um, obviously Flanagan made way for Lawton and I thought he had a really good game today. I thought he clearly took being dropped... Um, the right way and he came out looking to, to play his best football uh, obviously the pass for the goal was great um, and there was that little move later on where Scott Arfield should have uh, added another when he picks the ball up from Boyd and he cuts inside and he has the patience to, to not just try and get it to Gray but to see actually look, Arfield's the open easy pass and really we should have taken advantage of that move yeah, I think that was that was really positive as well, that even that late in the game, we were still trying to score goals and make the game a bit safer, whereas I think previously we've been guilty of sitting in a bit when we've got in front. I think that's probably what we were doing at the end of the end of the first half. Um, Natalie didn't cost it in the end, and another one of these where it was after the allocated time, but is it is it just a case of being a bit more streetwise and playing to the whistle rather than seeming to just think that they've done the job. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I mean, I'm I'm incredibly frustrated by the lack of discipline and the lack of um, just focus that our, we are seeing. And it's not just in this um, season. In the last Premier League season that we had two years ago, um, we... I can remember two games and no one was Palace and forgive me I can't, I can't remember which the other one was but we had two back-to-back home um, games where we went 2-0 up in really key games with promoted sides sorry with relegation threatened sides around us conceded a goal right in the extra time of half time and ended up losing those games and they've just got to see these out I've seen a lot on social media about the this you know adding on time but actually, if you look at it, I believe, and again, somebody please fact check me if this isn't right, but I believe that the extra time starts when the ball goes back in play. So when the board went up and the 90 minutes finished and we started the extra time, Tom Heaton took 40 seconds to set to, to take the goal kick, which was added on, which is why we went to nearly two minutes when they scored. But you know what? Going into to late into injury time is irrelevant. Burnley have to stop switching off when that board goes up. And actually, they ended up scoring from um, a missed opportunity that we had at the other end where we were we had the ball and we were driving forward. And it, all they needed to do was take it in the corner or just keep possession. And they lost it going forward and they ended up 
scoring on the counter. And I just think you've, you've just got to be a little bit more savvy with this. Otherwise, you're just going to throw away stupid points. It didn't cost us today, Jamie, you're right, but it so could have done. And we all had that horrible feeling that even though, you know, Bournemouth had gone 2-0 down and 3-1 down, that they were somehow going to win this game. So, you know, I think that's something that Deitch has to... And actually, it's quite uncharacteristic for this side. We weren't that ill-disciplined last season and we haven't been under Deitch. And I'm not really sure where this is creeping in from. I don't know if it's complacency or whether it's just... um, whether it's just that teams don't in this league don't they do play to the whistle they see every single second as an opportunity to score a goal uh and just quickly as well while we're talking about the the discipline of a team can we talk about that that the kickoff we had right uh, I in the last year about that was terrifying i don't know what was it bonds i don't know what was bonds because if they couldn't score to that that would have been that would have been unforgivable It'd be the end of Barnes's life. I think for Jamie's right. <laughs> I think Dyke would have actually killed him. It just would have been. This is a result of. This is sorry. This is a result of that stupid, like pointless rule change, though, where previously the ball had to go forward before you could carry on, and now it doesn't. So teams have decided, oh, we'll do kickoffs where uh, the striker lumps it straight back to a centre half, sort of thing, and it's just stupid. Uh, just. Play football as how it's always been played. Like, yeah, still need to it's, try. It's weird, uh, isn't it? Because you know, lumping it thirty yards. They've changed the rules so you can take it with a one-man kickoff, but there's nothing saying you have to take it with a one-man kick. You can still have someone else there, can't you? It's like it seemed like we were trying to do something clever, and it was just like a loss of concentration. It was so strange. Yeah, I think it was just Barnes. I think he just went a bit maverick and just decided he was going to do what he wants. <laughs> he and does actually, that sometimes, doesn't he? <laughs> he does. But after he'd done it, he got an almighty roasting off Ben Mee he absolutely honestly he dressed him down like nobody's business now Ashley being Ashley decided to start gobbing off back at him but the whole team was just like you look at so and so because if that because that was when it was that was when it was 3-2 wasn't it yeah it was it was literally after Daniel scored at the end we just gave them the ball straight from kick. I was like, what are you doing? What I might have doing? nightmares about that this evening. <laughs> it was absolutely frightening. But again, luckily it didn't cost us. Um, I think. But then again, also just quickly as well, we're talking about us considering injury time uh, in, in both halves. You know, Yeah, we've done that a couple of times, but also you've got to think that's now Bournemouth's last three goals uh, have been scored in injury time so I think you know they've obviously I think they've got something in them at the moment where they're going right to the end as well so I don't think it's purely on us I think you've, you've got to give some credit to Bournemouth as well for going, going right to the end that's right true and also um, we used to concede in injury time didn't we all the time under Eddie Howe so it's obviously something he's worked on since then that it's now the opposite way around and his team scores in injury time Um on, on how actually James I noticed that after we made our double change he then changed his formation. We seemed to go four four two to go like for like with Bournemouth. And then they took off the striker and went to a sort of four three three. But Dyche got the better of that exchange, I felt. I think we were much more threatening after our tactical change compared to Bournemouth. Yeah, I'd agree. I, I thought um Bournemouth played a, a kind of a strange style of football to us. Because while they had a lot of possession and you know seemed to dominate quite a lot of play in our half I never really felt like they were that dangerous so I don't know whether he was you know bringing a striker off because he felt he he wasn't having a good game and he wanted to mix it up um but it was quite a strange change I thought and like you said it's not really worked out but I'm not surprised that he made a change because 
I mean, if you remember back when Eddie was our manager, he did tend to be more fond of mixing things up than Dash has been for us. So, um, I think he was just trying to obviously not allow Dash to get the match he wanted. And in the end, it, I don't think it really worked for them. Yeah, it is an interesting one because I think that is one of the, the weaknesses that we've talked about with Dash, that opposition managers make changes and he doesn't respond. Whereas this time it was an opposition manager responding to his changes and it didn't pay off for them, which <laughs> I kind of can't get my head around it because it's the first time I can remember it happening. But I'm also delighted because it makes such a difference if you can be proactive and do things that put the other team on the back foot. And that's exactly what we did today. And I think I think Bournemouth were forced into one of their changes as well because Gosling was pretty lucky to still be on the pitch after the uh, the, the challenge on I think it was Marnie, and um, you know he, he looked like he was cruising for a second yellow. So Eddie clearly hooked him for that reason, and he showed a little bit of dissent as well at the time on the pitch. He sort of like flung his arms around like I can't believe I'm being taken off, but you know he clearly did that as damage limitation. And uh, I think when you make changes like that, obviously gives you an opportunity to keep 11 men on the field, it does end up affecting the way you're playing because it sort of breaks up your rhythm a little bit. It seems to me that one of the the big trends of today's game was that players who've been criticised quite a lot recently came through. We've obviously, James has talked about Lawson, we've talked about Hendrick. Andre Gray, I've seen some ludicrous comments in the last few weeks suggesting that his heart's not in it and he's really distracted and someone was saying that he just wasn't trying, which I thought was farcical anyway. Um, but the guy who came up with the winner today, Kev, George Boyd, a fantastic goal made by Andre Gray, but finally some contribution from George Boyd. It proves to be the winner. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, my, my brother um, absolutely despises George Boyd. Every, <laughs> every match every match when the team sheet is announced, he, he, I, I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. When the team was announced, I couldn't believe we got Boyd and Arfield wide again. After yeah, and we had, we had a little interchange. We had a little Sorry, we had a little interaction on Twitter saying, you know, okay, Kitely's the only other option really in the squad, but Boyd and Arfield have been so... Free Kitely. <laughs> don't, don't set James off by Kitely. <laughs> Cut. Yeah, you know, Boyd and Arfield have been so pretty much non-existent for the whole season really, other than one or two sm- small contributions, that it, it was almost like crying out, you know, what's, what's the harm in trying something different? Yeah, I mean, it was fantastic to see, see Boy goals. It was a good, it was a good goal all around. I still want to see him contribute to the match a bit more in the same same of Arfield, but uh, I'll, I'll give him I'll give him credit this week for for a good goal. And like you said, it was a fantastic contribution from Andre Gray. And I think I think like you said earlier, I think Gray was absolutely fantastic. And I think in the last few weeks we've been crying out for that creative touch. We've got a lot of players who can graft away, and we've got you know. But the way we've been getting the ball forward has not been creative. It's, it has very much been about grafting it forward. It's been a bit more, a bit more hacky, uh, particularly without the Munson in the team. We've, we've got it's nobody. Te- it's a technical term, a bit more hacky. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we have the Munson in the team. We've got nobody who like, you know, have that creative spark and do something to actually make something. And, and that's what Andrea Gray really brought to the team. And he's, he's not been any, anywhere near like himself. I, I don't agree with people who said his heart's not in it, but he's. He's certainly not looked himself since the Liverpool game. Uh, and today he did. I think, you know, he, maybe a couple of balls where he could have been a bit sharp away, but overall, I think it was a massive contribution to the game. That flick on, not that flick on, but that back heel to, to boy for the goal. It was, it was gorgeous, it was fantastic, and it was really good to see. Now, hopefully, this is Andrew Gray back now, because I think he, he can and will be a massive part of that season. 
Yeah, I think I think part of it was just he was a bit rusty. It seemed like the second half at Stoke, he was getting a bit more like his old self. He had a couple of efforts that were more sharpness, I think. You're right at the team for that long, and then he's had a couple of games where he's been on the bench and not on the pitch. I think it was rustiness as much as anything, and his confidence will have taken a hit, because obviously it's his first season in the Premier League. He was just settling down, he just scored his first goal, and then he was out of the team and not really involved for a couple of months. So I think that will have had an impact, and I think you're right. I think we saw the grey that everyone was hoping to see this season today and hopefully this is going to be a, a a new dawn and we can leave all the the social media stuff behind as he obviously did the interview with Sky um, in the build up to the game that addressed it all and hopefully everyone can move on from that now um, one last thing on the, the game Natalie good to see the fans showing a bit of support to Harry Arter the Bournemouth midfielder obviously uh, very sad what happened to him a year ago with the death of his daughter. His partner's pregnant again now, which is fantastic news. But I think all Burnley fans were were taking part in that applause and the support for Harry Arter. Who thanked the Burnley supporters after the game as well. Yeah, it does, and I think it comes at a time where Burnley have had um, been on the wrong end of a little bit of bad stick. A bit of bad press. <laughs> yeah, definitely. There seems to be. I mean, it's part and parcel of what happens when you are in um, the higher division. Certainly, we're in a division where the world's press is just looking at you through a looking glass all the time. Um, I know that there's been some suggestions that the club is outside of its comfort zone. And I think I think there's a lot to be said about being in the, the cosy, warm comfort blanket of the championship. And I know certainly our directors, our board, our, you know, the, everybody, the fans sometimes can feel a little bit um, exposed in the, in the Premier League because it is a very brutal league and anything can get completely blown up. So only fans have been in uncharted territory this season where we've had quite a few incidents where there's been some negative press and there's been some sensation headlines passed around which we all know what they're there for and just trying to generate advertising revenue for the journalists who write them but this was a really nice piece of publicity today and I just hope it goes to show that a lot of the the media and a lot of the sensationalism that's been put out on the press is just what it is it's just clickbait journalism that's all it is Um, and we are a good set of fans and we will support the football community when we need to and and it was nice to see on the eighth minute like you say just to give um, it wasn't just for one of our own it was for an opposite player um, at a club who was visiting our ground and it was very nice to see Yeah, uh, James I think I agree with, with you on this that it's maybe a bit overused the whole minute supporting, it feels like there's something like that every game but it's it's still nice to, to show support for someone who went through something absolutely horrific and like Natalie says it's, it's good PR for Burnley fans as well It is and I think this one's a little bit different maybe to, to most of them when you know, it's just a when it's for a fan, maybe you don't necessarily you know aware of and that kind of thing. Whereas, obviously, Harry Artis was a, a really big thing, and he's been in the press this week saying how difficult it's been since. Um, so it was a really nice touch. It just does weigh against uh, you know sort of the sterling sensationalism that the MEN put out and sort of what how they tried to portray the town in that. I think it shows that, like, like Brom has said, you know, there's a lot of people in Burnley who've uh, got their hearts in the right place, and uh, 
just to show it. I did think it was quite funny though. He seemed to get a lot of possession during that that minute. <laughs> I don't think anyone wants to tackle him. You don't want to tackle him when everyone's. <laughs> he stole a couple of yards on a free kick as well and took a <laughs> took a swift one. I actually. And I was really he... hoping actually that maybe he'd be a bit overcome by the moment and make a mistake. <laughs> and, you know, Can oh, you imagine the way for the score? slip. If it had scored, I think even the Burnley fans would have cheered the goal. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, it does raise an interest. Like, it's always weird when there's a goal when there's a, an applause for, for something going on. Um, moving on then from, from the game itself, we'll do Tweets of the Week next. So over to Natalie. Indeed. <laughs> How rude. Stole a line. Okay. I have a copyright on that line, Jamie Smith. <laughs> Indeed. This week's tweet of the week is in honour of the roller coaster of emotions that it takes to be a Burnley fan. The ups, the downs, the highs, the lows, the petrified feeling that you get when you suddenly think that you're going to lose a 2-0 lead. And this week's tweet of the week comes from Josh. And he says, they put me through the motions every week, but I wouldn't have it any other way. And I completely agree with you, Josh. It's what keeps us alive and it what keeps us coming back to Turf more. So well done. That was this week's Tweet of the Week. You say it keeps us alive, but I think it probably takes years off us. <laughs> yeah, I, honestly. I, I think the, the guy sat next to me today said, oh, he said, you look about 90 right now. I was like, yeah, I feel about 190. I'm going through that. That's not very nice. <laughs> oh, it's all right. He knows me well enough. <laughs> Fair enough. He's been, fo- he's been following me to the new turnstile and he's just latched on. <laughs> <laughs> don't give me turnstile. I pack the Pied Piper leading <laughs> loads of people around. Let's not do that. Um, so it was a massive three points for, for Burnley. I think it took us up to 13th in the table ahead of two big away games. West Ham on Wednesday, Spurs on Sunday, two away games in London sure a lot of people will be decamping to the capital for a week i certainly am um but james it's an interesting one because we've had more success again with the 4-5-1 at home but away from home same old problems so far only one goal scored in six games that wasn't from open play what do you think dash will be thinking ahead of west ham who have got to be vulnerable given the the poor results they've had and the problems they've had moving to the olympic stadium I think there's a ground where you'd expect to uh, maybe break some, some poor away form. It's, it has to be at uh, West Ham because obviously they just haven't settled in at all. Um, and it's really weird, actually. The way we've sort of gone about our formations with the 4-5-1 at home and 4-4-2 away from home, it's kind of the reverse of what you'd normally expect. Um, and I've always said, I think, away from home, I'd expect us to try and pack the midfield and sort of try and win that battle. Uh, but we've been playing 4-4-2 away from home and I think we end up just being a bit too open and uh, you know leaving ourselves exposed. So I don't know if maybe he'll try and take some of his uh, you know, turf more tactics away and, and just give it a go playing five in midfield again because I don't think Defoe maybe has the fitness to play in a four as well. So if you play five in midfield, you end up with you know your most creative player playing as well, which is only uh, can only be a positive. Yeah, it's 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 a strange one for me. I mean, a lot of people, I suppose, will probably want Gray to start after his impact from the bench in the Bournemouth game. But 
I suppose the counter argument is that you want to keep him hungry and he was so effective from the bench. Why not keep him on the bench? Um, but the Volts and Grey partnership was so effective last season, Kevin. Surely we're going to give that another spin at some point. It was interesting that it was Barnes and Grey again today and Volts came off to allow that to happen. Dash obviously likes something about the Barnes and Grey pairing. Yeah, and I think like uh, I think we said earlier, there was a couple of points where it looked rusty, but a couple of points where it looked it looked quite good as well. I think Barnes is a is not Sam Volks, but he's a is a similar ish in kind of building and and, and and that kind of fact. I think he complements Grey well in a different way to what to what Volks doesn't. He? I think it's actually it's really nice to have lots of different options now. We can play with uh, Volks up by himself. We can bring. Um, we can bring Gray on and Volks and play uh, Gray on with 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 Barnes, and we've got three different options there, which offer three um, very different very different forms of attack up top as well, which I think is is really good. It means we've got the opportunity to to. I don't think it's something where we'll just go, okay, well, let's just try this. I think it's hopefully this is something Dice can look at and actually look at which which setup of those of those partnership which way works to best counter the, the opposition which i think worked really well today with when we got i think barnes and gray worked really well in in that setup we had today against against bomb i think they worked really well together but in other teams it might not work how well we want where we want to have volks with a bit more of a focal point where you can whack the ball up to whereas barnes prefers it a bit more on the floor a bit so i think it's some it's, i think it's not something where we've got a find the best solution and go with it. I think it's something where we can now have the opportunity to mix it up and change it about uh, whether Dash does that. I'm not sure. He's not traditionally been very keen on mixing things up and changing things. But this season, he's just seemed a bit more flexible. We've changed formation probably more times in the last four or five weeks than he's done in his entire his entire <laughs> time at Turf Moor before that. So hopefully now, you know, he's got that better flexibility. We've got the options to be flexible, which is, again, something we've probably not had a lot of in his time here. And we can use all three of those different combinations in different in different ways at different times yeah i think uh i think it's a, a big step that we talk about changes now after a victory when previously we'd just be like same again next week and wouldn't even bring it up but we have that in our locker now that we can play a couple of different formations okay 442 has not been very successful so far this season but we had a lot of joy with it last year and i'm sure we'll, we'll get it to work at some point um but yeah, I think my suspicion is that we'll we'll go same again and see how that goes. Um, I don't know if I dare ask you this, Natalie, but Sam Volks is a bit quiet at the minute. He's had a couple of quiet games. Do you think his place is perhaps a bit vulnerable given the, the impact that Gray had today? And Gray and Barnes, the combination, seems to be doing okay. Yep. Um, I agree completely. I think um, as painful as this is for me to to talk about, knowing that I am uh, the fan that I am of of Sam Volks, I have criticised him this season and I have raised some questions over his ruthlessness in front of goal he he needs a lot more chances than he does convert so he needs you know he needs 10 chances and he'll maybe miss a good you know significant amount of those and score maybe one possibly two goals um I think he brings something different to the side and I don't think he I don't I'm not suggesting for one minute that he's not um the right man for this you know for this this team I think he can bring a lot um and it is a striker that a lot of teams aren't used to dealing with um Eddie Howe said himself in the post-match interviews today that he warned his side that the first thing that they had to deal with with us was to handle Sam Vokes and he admitted that they didn't at all. You know, he said, I know Sam Vokes well. 
and and you have to handle him and we didn't so I think it's a very important that, that Sam stays in the team but at the moment I think he will very much benefit from the the Matt Lawton effect that we saw earlier on today um, that maybe dropping him and seeing how hungry and how much um, Ashley and uh, Andre want to get back into the side will just sharpen him his mind. He's had to carry the can on his own for a long time um, recently and his place has been pretty much guaranteed. So I don't think it'll do him too much harm in uh, in having a bit of competition and see if he can get his striking boots back. Natalie, it's really it's it, it's really weird, Natalie, hearing you criticise Sam Vaux. It's just you're supposed to be like so painful. Like, she's she's criticising his ability, not his face or body. Oh yeah, that that's never <laughs> going to happen ever. <laughs> Hell would freeze over before any of those two things happen. Actually, I, I did actually have an inter, um, an exchange with the with the club this week on Twitter, so I did have a little bit of a whinge in that when I finally turned the, uh, over the calendar this in December, Sam Vokes was in December. I was like, why are you making me wait a whole twelve months before I can pin him on my wall? So I did good, have a bit. Good of a things come to those who wait. That was exactly the response, Jamie. Yes. Right See, on point. <laughs> I, I could run the Cubs for a You should. Oh, actually, no, maybe you shouldn't. That would be. No, that would I think be that, a, that would terrible, send over the edge. Terrible idea. <laughs> <laughs> I would be bad at that. Um, I think one of the players actually before this game pointed out that goals are being shared out really well, and although Volks has got four, a lot of people have got one and two. We talked about. I've mentioned Arfield's not contributed a lot this season, but he did score the winner against Everton, didn't he? Boyd scored the winner today. Stephen Ward got his first of the season. Hendrick scored. So that's that's obviously something that benefits us, James, that we have players all over the pitch who can contribute. Keane's obviously a goal threat as well, so although we don't necessarily have someone who's going to get 15, 20 goals, we can rely on a number of different players to get goals. Yeah, people always say about you know needing like a 15 20 goal scorer and I think in the Premier League a lot of people I think forget how few players score that number you know you might get two or three 20 goal scorers a year uh, so you know for a club like Burnley to have a 20 goal scorer it's, it's probably not going to happen because he's going to be a big side I think it is really good that you know we've got players who can pop up all over the pitch and, and get a goal see we saw Dean Marnie score a few weeks ago and it's you know it's not every week he gets one um, you know, obviously, Arfield, yeah, picked a one against Everton. Boyd today sort of showed that he's, he's got his shooting boots still. Um, and particularly, you know, goals from further back. Uh, we are, we do have aerial threats at corners, you know. Michael Keane last season started the year out really hot, didn't he? And was our top goal scorer until, uh, you know, probably about a month into the season. So there is goals on our side, and I think. You know, we for Burnley. It's more about finding a way to score rather than you know necessarily scoring the best goals all the time. Particularly in the Premier League, you know, we used to score a lot of well-structured team goals previously. But I think in the Premier League, we're more happy to take the scrappy goals like Wards today, where you know as long as someone gets a boot on it and it hits the back of the net, then we'll take it. Yeah, and I think you know, not as well as just you know having scorers throughout the team. I saw the bit a BBC tweet earlier that said that um but only Liverpool has scored more goals from outside the box than Burnley. We've scored six goals from outside the box and that's I think that's really impressive considering you know we've I mentioned earlier we've got not got too many creative players and it was very easy for 
our goals to come largely from set pieces, you know, we're whacking into the box and it gets a flick on knocked in, pretty much like our, our second goal, really. Actually, it'd be very easy for the vast majority of our goals to be like that. But we are mixing up the way we score as well. We've, like I say, with six goals from outside the box is, is fantastic. And we're always, it's always nice to, to see a, a goal like that as well. So it's nice to, nice to watch as well. Yeah, it's, it's something that, that we've not done a lot of. I remember last time in the Premier League, I said, yeah, I, I said a lot last time in the Premier League that when you're not going to get as many opportunities like the, the, the better sides, just have a go from first. You know, if you, if you see it open up, just have a go. And uh, I think it's something I've said particularly about Scott Arfield in the past where he was always very reluctant to shoot from distance. And, you know, it's worth doing because uh, we can't, structure a goal and like thread our way through some of the best defence in this league so if you have a shot from 30 yards you never know it, can, it could go you know if you hit it like Hendrick did today more, more often than not it will go in I don't know if it'll be more often than not but <laughs> certainly worth a go I think Hendrick now he should have the confidence to try that a bit more I think that's obviously something he has in his game everyone remembers the, the times he hit the crossbar at the year also shot some distance so he obviously has the, the technical ability to do that. Yeah, I've just seen a, um, a post-match interview, Jamie, where he's saying that he'd actually made a, um, um, a positive effort this week to practice shooting and training all week. and He'd been driving all the rest of the team mad and just relentlessly trying to practice shooting because he felt like the team was struggling for goals. And if you don't start shooting, then you're not going to score any. So he wanted to, to chip in with that. So obviously it's been paid off this week and he's in that mindset that he wants to look forward. And that showed today, one of the reasons why he put in the man of the match performance today is I felt that it wasn't just his technical ability. His positive attitude was incredible today. He looked, his head was up his confidence and he had a swagger about him that allowed him to go for that shot and just that arrogance to the side of him to think I can I can hit this and it's going to go in do you know what I mean it's like you need that positive mental attitude when you're going to start looking at scoring goals and he had that today yeah well I, th- I think that's uh, as good a place as any to, to leave it there with you've got to have shots to score goals <laughs> um, which is presumably what Dash has been telling them in training this week have some shots, we'll score some goals <laughs> so as always we'll end on predictions both of the, the London games will be before our next podcast, that'll be early next week so um, predictions for both games I suppose James you go first, West Ham away, Spurs away do you think we're going to get anything from these surely we've got to break our run of defeats away from home um. at some point no, I think we'll get three points out of the two games uh, down in London. And I think, like we were saying before, we'll take advantage of West Ham's struggles at home um, and we'll take the three points there. I think it'll be uh, 3-1 to us with an Andre Aguirre hat-trick. So after his positive after his positive influence today, we'll bring the hat-trick back. I'm, I'm feeling it. Um, and then at, at White Hart Lane, I think ultimately Tottenham will just have a little bit too much for us and um, we'll fall 2-1. Uh, the quality just sort of shining through. Yeah, we're um, recording, you've probably guessed, we're recording this on the Saturday after the game, so West Ham and Spurs both playing before, um, sorry, after we're making these predictions, so um, take that into account when we're saying this, West Ham might be Liverpool 6-0 on Sunday, and we'll walk a bit stupid, um, but surely this is a, a massive opportunity to get that first win, Kevin, away win, Kevin, against the team down at the bottom, what's your prediction? Yeah, West Ham have been uh, really poor all season, and you've got to say if we're gonna if we're gonna break this away this away run we're on, which is one of the worst runs you can have, uh, this is this is going to be the game. You, one of the games you're going to be looking at with really 
really having a crack at doing it. Um, having said that, we're probably going to go, going to do a, a West Brom and get beat four um, nil. But, but um, no, I'm going to be more positive. Oh, however, despite how positive I'm feeling after today's game, I, I, I still I, I can't get positive enough to predict a win away from home. But I'm going to go for a, a second point. We're going to double Good. our away point record, yeah. which, is, which is fantastic. We're going to get we're going, it's going to be a, a one all a one all draw, and I think Andre Gray is going to score, <laughs> but not a hat trick. <laughs> I'm taking someone to their first ever Burnley game for the West Ham game, so hopefully we don't do a West Brom otherwise. Um, I'll never get them to go again. Um, Natalie, you predicted a win, and we did a win. What does we this did. mean? What does it mean, Jamie? This means that. Christmas has come early for you. <laughs> it has. I'm going to give you a normal, non-tactical, sensible oh prediction. Listeners, you do not know how long <laughs> I have waited for this moment. Is, so many times this... we've been tempted to get rid of Natalie and we've kept her no! for this moment. <laughs> well, my reverse psychology is, is proving to be not particularly successful in this league. and But, but my new positive change of turnstile tactic is working at home but it's not working away so I'm going to go with a third tactic this season for an just and this is only for away games there's more tactics than dash yes three tactics well you see you know you've got to have them it's like a third kit you you need that third (laughs) tactic when it comes in so I'm just going to give you what I think is going to happen I'm actually feeling very positive as you guys are about the West Ham game I think Burnley will win I think we're going to get our first win away from home I can't see us like not letting them score at all. I can't see him as keeping a clean sheet, but I think Burnley will win 2-1. And and the Spurs game, strangely, I'm actually feeling really positive about that as well. And I'm going to predict a 1-1 draw. So I'm expecting four-point return for my trip to the capital. I think everyone would take that. I, I agree yeah, with James, I think. Spurs Spurs have been pretty strong recently, especially at home, so I think we'll probably lose that one. But there's no reason at all why we can't go to West Ham and win with the way they've been at home this season so hopefully next week we'll have an away win to talk about i'm not sure what we'll be doing on the podcast because we'll be so shocked but we will crack on and have a very good try um but that is it for this week's podcast as ever if you've got any comments questions feedback please do get in touch email address is podcast at net. you can also tweet us at net. we are still seeking sponsors please get in touch with through the same channels if you are interested or want to learn more now it's a special reduced rate due to lack of interest <laughs> thanks to rick who provides our artwork kev's editing this week good luck with that kev um but that's it for this week we'll be back next week thanks to natalie kev and james for joining me i've been jamie smith this has been the non never podcast goodbye Indeed. This week's tweet of the week is paying homage to the roller coaster of emotions. I actually think when you say about that, sorry, Jamie, just on that, I think. What's going on? Why are you all interrupting tweet of the week? James also had some sort of delay, so I went to make a point on what we were talking about, even though we've moved Uh, on, I think. Okay. I'm going to try this little section again because this has been You just ruined my interruption by doing another interruption. <laughs> I know. That's so oh rude. Get back to you. We'll, we'll pick up three. Yeah.
Uh, you're gonna have to have another crack at that because you totally broke up and we got very little of that. Yeah, well, I say I'm slowing down now, so I'm just gonna pull over and then I'll <laughs> go again. In the hope that not moving will mean. You probably haven't seen this on the chat, but Kev's just said, "When is Adam back? <laughs> back soon, fortunately." <laughs> this one's probably not gonna be much oh, that's funny. We can hear you now, Birdie. You're back now. You've pulled over. Yeah, it's come on the peninsula, so like a different century here, isn't it? Just organising the fights that people want to see. It's such a nightmare in boxing. I know. I bumped into Tyson Fury at a service station once. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah, that was a, a rare, uh, useful interruption. <laughs> and at the, uh, the steam gathering at Cork. Uh, the where, sorry? A steam ga- steam how gathering. Ga- how do you gather steam? I was really getting a load of old steam tractors together in a field and like <laughs> pump some stuff around. But apparently, he uh, he likes to stay at the caravan park on Walney. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.